Welcome to the Michigan Youth Sports Podcast. I'm David Fedor. I'm a husband and a father of five kids. I also run a travel baseball organization, and I'm the head coach of a JV high school baseball team in Michigan. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss the ecosystem of youth sports. Please feel free to contact us with any topics you would like to see discussed. Lastly, please subscribe and tell your friends about our podcast. So outside of, outside of Cooperstown, what are you know some of your you know, uh, most impactful or special moments, you know, let's start with the softball side. Yeah. You know, we've been talking a lot about baseball, but uh, for, you know, coaching wise, you know, uh, softball, give me a couple, you know, I mean, here's why I'm asking this question. We, you know, coaches in general, we're, we're not paid a whole lot. I mean, we're not major league managers. We're doing this for free. Um, or if some of us are paid, I'm not and you're not, but, uh, it's a, a small amount. And people ask, well, why do you do this? Well, it's about you know, develop them, giving back and developing kids. And, and, and a big part of it is those special moments, right? And, and those are things that, that we get out of it. That's our pay, right? Yep. So I'm sure you have a couple on the softball side. Yeah, give, me, the, give me a couple. The, the softball one's easy. We, I had 19 kids I coached who were in eighth grade, so the year before high school in, in my career as a coach in softball. Um, all 19 of those kids are playing high school softball right now. And the coolest part of that was I asked them all, I said, listen, you know, you know, I've invested a lot of time, you know, with you, you know, love you guys all like daughters, right. Would do anything for you. Um, you know, you know, your family's really well, you know, after tryouts, I, you know, please give me a call. I really would appreciate that. Every one of them over those two years called me. Um, I just pretty much had chills or tears in my eyes for every one of them. And, you know, you know, many of them made JV, a couple of them made varsity as freshmen. But the fact that they were given the tools and we were able to go through a process and all 19 of them made it, you know, and some some of the schools, you know, don't have a strong programs. Some have very strong programs. So not all is equal when you're trying out, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day. All 19 of them are playing. They all get to wear their school colors. They all get to bond with a new set of teammates or some that they played with in the past. That to me is the one thing I will, I don't like to brag about a lot. That's the one thing I like to brag about because I'm so darn proud of that. Um, that to me is the one thing I will carry with me the rest of my life more than anything. Now on the verse end of that, I will tell you a story about the first game we ever played in softball. And by the way, any kid you ask me about, I probably could rattle off 10 or 15 things that I'm proud. And not all of them are base hits or big plays. Some of them are moments where I saw them grow up as a person, you know, um, handle a strikeout better or an adverse situation, you know, as you do too with all your players. But it's funny thinking about those 19 girls that are all now playing, you know, high school ball. As a matter of fact, I think one of my girls is going to get a college offer here in the next week or two, which will be the first girl or player I've ever coached that gets to go to college. So I'm kind of excited about that. But, uh, you know, if that happens, that'll be kind of neat. You know, she's worked her butt off. I mean, she's done it, but it's just kind of neat to be a small, small part of that, you know, process. But um, I remember our first game, we went to Oakland Yard to play. Uh, We had a travel team of, you know, we basically took a bunch of house girls and we put a travel team together. We were a 10-year team. I think we were mostly nine-year-olds at the time. So we walk into this tournament thinking we got it all figured out. And we walk in there and the team we're playing, they have the number, it was either number four or five ranked pitcher in the state at the time at 10U. Okay. And we walk in there and all I hear is the of the ball hitting the mitt. (laughs) And I look over there and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done to these girls? And so... 
they had been warm enough for 45 minutes already. This is now we had to get there at six in the morning. It's one of these early morning, terrible, you know, yeah, those are tough some more, especially at that age, right? Yeah, everyone's exhausted already. Our girls are over there warming up with their winter coats on. I'm trying to get them off. The dome is freezing. So we like, we're not going to fight this today. So they're warming up with their winter coats on this. Our team's like, you know, full out. Everything's going on. You know, we keep looking over and hearing that of the glove. <laughs> and then when the game starts, literally one of the girls, I, I, I messed up on the lineup. I had 10 girls in the field and from house ball I used to have four outfielders. Now you only have three. I forgot about that. So I pulled one of the girls off the field. I said, I'm sorry. I forgot we go to three outfielders now. You know, you can play in an inning or two. She was so relieved to be out of the game because of the other pitcher. <laughs> her, 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 her dad and me still laugh about it, but she was like, oh, no, no, coach, I'll sit here the whole game. And she put her coat and her blanket on. She was so dang happy not to be playing. Now, ironically, she's the only girl on our team that got a hit that day. She hit the ball about three inches and ended up beating the throw out. So she has a hit in the book. But the girls would come back after this. We had never seen that speed before. We couldn't replicate it in practice. I didn't even know that speed existed at that point. So we learned a lot as coaches. But the girls would come back and literally they go up there and watch three pitches and come back striking out. And we're like, we are so proud of you for standing in that batter's box. Here's a helmet sticker, you know. So we give them a helmet sticker, you know, and we tell them how great they're doing. And and I think I think they mercyed us in four or five innings. So we maybe had 15 batters. Where I think we were one for 16 hitting like probably. As a matter of fact, I think it was 15 strikeouts and one dribble hit that day. But we were so proud of the girls just standing in the batter's box. Like, you've accomplished something. And, and, you know, as funny as that sounds, I do think they accomplished something. They, you know, there's a fear when you see that for the first time. So I really, as much as that story is hysterical to me still, I do think every one of those girls started understanding what is coming their way. I'll tell you what. If I get in the box and Arnoldus Chapman throws 105 to me and I stand in there and take three pitches, you better be telling, hey, good I'll job. I'll give you a helmet sticker if you do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't do it right now at this point in my life. No, I, I mean – uh, I, I, I saw um, like two years ago, I saw a, a guy uh, uh, throwing a high 80s and, and I got in there and I struck out. I mean, I mean, uh, I think I fouled one off and yeah. I was happy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that was my accomplishment. Totally. You know, totally. And then I even the one that I did swing at, I asked the umpire, go, hey, was that a strike? He goes, yeah. And I felt accomplished that I swung at a strike. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it's my point is that it, it's a it, it's a whole other level that. You know, kind of like your earlier statement about, you know, uh, the 27-year-old pitcher. You know, yeah. There's a whole other level, and those girls in that day saw it. That, saw it. Yeah. So my, my one regret of that day is I wish I knew that girl's name. But she, she's, she's probably – she's got to be a junior now, maybe going into her senior year somewhere. I would love to know what her progression has been since then. And I probably could figure it out somehow, but I'm really upset. I would love to know where she, what is her path? And, you know, it, it, did she make it? Is she going to make college or not? Because, you know, as the girls get older, all of a sudden you see a ton of girls throwing like that. But we, I mean, I, I bet we were replicating 35 to 40 in practices. And then we walk into that, you know, and like I said, every girl would come off and we'd be so excited for them and hug them. And here's a helmet <laughs> sticker. And, you know, and we have the one girl who's so happy to be sitting out, who who's a very solid player today. And, you know, it just, it's, it's funny to think about those things. Mm -hmm. But another point of that is that's also where I think people and, and, and the parents you have or any, any parent in youth sports needs to understand it is a process. You know, a lot of people could have left there going, oh, my God, this is a disaster. It's not a disaster. That was part of that was one small 
point in the process for getting the girls to where they're at and those 19 girls in the high school ball. You have to start somewhere. So let me ask you this. So did you, you know, in the back of your mind, you're going, I made a huge mistake of doing this. I mean, you, I mean, you're telling them all this. Yeah. But deep down, you're telling yourself that too and try to get yourself to believe that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Oh, you're, you're, what I was trying to do immediately was I immediately knew we needed to coach differently I knew we needed to replicate higher speeds quickly, um, which we struggled with for the first year because we didn't have the pitchers that could pitch like that. So it's hard to replicate it. So then we went out and bought pitching machines and stuff for the organization so we could start replicating speeds and things like that. Um, You know, I might have been too dumb to realize that we were really that much over our head. uh, But what I did realize was scheduling was really critical. Because we, we ended up pulling off a win that weekend. I still don't know how we pulled off a win that weekend. So we left with something that we could hold on to for the future practices. Um, but uh, it, it, yeah, we, you know, to me, it became a challenge of how do we get the kids to that level? And not all of them, I, you know, were able to get to that level. But there was just a challenge. And I it didn't freak me out, but I did realize scheduling was critical. And then I, I said, all right, what is the makeup of our team and how do we give them a good experience without? So, for instance, at that team, I didn't want them playing all high level of competition. We would have lost every game. That would have been no fun and they would have burned out of the game and it would have been a disaster all around. But you wanted to play higher end competition so they can get better and see what's out there. But then I also realized I wanted them to play some light competition so they had some 50-50 games and some chances in tournaments. So we started realizing scheduling based on the type of team makeup you have to me is critical. You, it's a you balance. Carry, you carry that right over to, you know, obviously on the baseball side. I mean, I know yeah, 100%. You, you know, that first year you're trying to figure out what you got and then, yeah. you know, and, and you actually mid kind of mid season, you shifted courses and you, uh, you know, downshifted a little bit. And then, uh, because you were in high gear to start and, you know, so, you know, uh, making adjustments. I mean, and if you think about it, really, that's, that's, um, we're coaching about right making in-game adjustments in-season adjustments yep. uh mid-season adjustments yeah uh, between season adjustments i mean that's just how yes yeah, fluid it's gotta our, be fluid uh what we're doing yeah know? i i just you know any if anyone was getting into into, into youth sports with their kid right now because there's a lot of emotion when around your kid right we all want just the best ever for our kids uh which you know you can respect across the board but you know, I just keep telling everyone it's a process. Every season is a process. Don't get caught up in one moment or one game. One game, your kid might be the pitcher and shortstop and go four for four and be the hero. And the next game, they may play two innings and play right field. And you may not like it. So don't ride the highs too much. Don't ride the lows too much. At the end of the season, assess the whole thing. And I think a lot of us, because we're so passionate about our kids, struggle with that sometimes. But if you really think about the process, even from that first game I just told you in that story, you know, the end result's fantastic. That first game that day, people could have, I mean, I'm sure people got in their car and said, this guy's nuts. They had to have. I just, that's the nature <laughs> of the beast, right? You yeah. know, so I, the process is so critical, but it's hard. This is your child out there. Yeah. And you want your child to just, you want everything in the world for your child. You so, know? You, so uh, on, on that, um, 
uh, on that realm, right? So you got to trust the process. We hear that a lot. Of, yeah. Like, you know, Bill Belichick, right? Isn't it the process I in think, New England? I, I think so. I think it's the is, process. Is that it? I, I think, think it is. Um, is that how he answers his questions when he's all grizzly with it? It's the process. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then no one else, you know, and then he walks away with his hoodie. Yep. Absolutely. And for the record, I'm not wearing a hoodie right now. So, yeah. <laughs> so Neither are you. The, tr- the trust in the process. Um, we hear that a lot, though, like with rebuilds, like in, you know, in, in, in college sports and, in you know, Major League Baseball and trust the process and rebuilding, tanking. And you hear, hear about yeah, that. Yeah, it's unreal right, right now. Um, so you look at like uh, like the Steelers, for example, in the NFL, they've had just a couple of head coaches and they, mm-hmm. they, they have a system and, you know, and they ride it out, you know. But then you look at the other, other professional teams and the coaches, you know, they're basically hired to be fired and they get – they get two years. That's it. Yeah, it's quick, you know? and you're out of there. Sometimes one year, and it's tough to 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 build a program. And my personal fear is, I feel like the youth sports is kind of, you know, your message is the right one of trust the process, but it's like their trust is one season or yeah, one month or it can be quick. You got, you got a couple games, right? And that's the. The tough thing to convince parents that, you know, this is, you got to take a long-term view, you know, and that's one of my personal uh, str- struggles and concerns about, you know, where we're going with this whole, yeah. um, you know, use sports and travel. Yeah. I mean, you and me have both have seen that. I mean, you see kids jump from team to team and team and stuff. You see, and, and are the kids jumping or the parents making them jump? And to me, it's the parents are making them jump. You know, we've all experienced it with players we've had. We've had players come to us, you know, that have jumped from other teams. You know, it's funny, Julie, one of the things she says to me all the time, and she goes, when, when we're talking about a new player, and she, you know, he kind of hears me in the office talking to coaches and stuff, she goes, what is their past? Have they been on six teams in six years? We said, they are. Do you really want them, Rick? You know, that kind of stuff, you know, and, and that's usually driven by the parents, and those are the parents that aren't trusting the process. And you try to beat them on the head a little bit and say, hey, if your kid's having fun and they're developing, then everything else is gravy. But some can't handle that, yep. you know, and, and it, it's it, I think that's where things get very yeah, emotional think, and, and tough sometimes. Yeah, you know, uh, are they developing? Are they having fun? And is there, uh, you know, some semblance of winning or the chance to win? Yes. Right? I are mean, you competitive? If you've got to you be competitive. Yeah, if you've got two of the, I, I always, you know, I, I break it down. If you got two of those three things, you're, you're probably good. You know, uh, if you can get all three, you definitely don't want to leave. And or if you think you can get that all three, you go somewhere where you're going to get those. Yep. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of how you have to evaluate it. I, um, you've told me this, but I want you to say it again. Um, you know, those those kids that are, are uh, jumping from one team to another yeah. to another. You know, you've always said, um, what do you have at the end of it? I think it's sad. I really do. I, I, I think it's sad because. You know, we, you know, like the Louisiana team. Now, that's a different team. That's an elite team. Probably one of those kids is going to play college. I, I get that. I think there's probably a point for something like that. But that's for very few kids. You know, our, our team, most all of our kids are going to go to one of two, two, you know, school districts. They all live in the community. That's what we want. I don't want to pull a kid from Wyandotte and one from Novi and one from Kalamazoo. I, I just I want a community group of kids because what I want them to have at the end of this is something friendships and camaraderie. And and maybe they, some of them go to college together. Maybe they come home after college and they're hanging out again. But to me, that is so much more important. These kids who jump around from team to team to team. And I got one one in my head. I won't say if it's a boy or a girl because I don't want to tip it. But um, 
you know, they've been on so many different teams and, and, and I know a few kids like this. I'm like, what do they have at the end of this? They don't have, you know, every year if you're on a new team and you're playing out of a new city, even if it's the adjacent city or whatever, I don't understand, you know, what you're chasing. And to me, it's the parents are chasing this. And at the end of it, they're going to look back and do they have any good friends that they've developed any long-term relationships? I don't really know how they do that when you're popping in and out of teams and you're only with a team for nine months of the year. And I, I think that's, it makes me sad when I see that. Now, I think there are rare cases with kids who have unbelievable talent who you need to keep forcing up and forcing is probably a terrible word for this, but they need to keep going up. So they're not the best one on the team. You know, they need to be the fourth or fifth so they can battle up to number one again. And then they probably need to go to the next, but that is so far few in between. Most of these kids, I just don't understand what, 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 what the, what the chase is, you know, uh, they're going to have probably solid high school careers and that's going to be the end of it, you know, and, 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 you know, and if, if they take all those tools that they've learned on the field into life, I think then that's a heck of a heck of a win. Um, but I, yeah, those, so you, those, so those you, make me sad. It makes me sad when I see that it really does. You touched, you touched on the thing about the, the parents and um, you know, one of the things that you know we struggle with is um, you know, that, that the relationship between the player and the coach is one thing. Um, but these aren't professional athletes, right? They're, they're minors. They, you know, they have some sort of uh, parental uh, influence that are, that's there. So now it's almost a, a pyramid between uh, parent, player, uh, and, and coach, right? Yep. And that's my, one of my uh, toughest things is, is, is trying to set the expectations with the parents. And at the end of the day, it becomes a, more of a uh, the shadow cast by the parent over the player versus, you know, putting the spotlight on the, on the kid and, and making it about their experience, right? Yes, agreed. And so, um, you know, for what, what's your advice for, for parents? I mean, look, you're a parent and you're a coach. Yeah. I'm a parent and a, and a coach, both. And so I've seen that. Now, when I – my personal philosophy is when I go and, and, and I'm, I'm just a parent to – you know, I'm not a coach, um, I, I don't say anything negative. I see things I like. I see things that I don't like. Um, but I, I generally don't make any negative comments to any other parents or, or anybody unless I'm willing to get out there and take their spot or assist or help and, and make things better. Because I know that it's not an easy job and people, it's, you know, I feel like it's it's lost on some of the parents on some of the decisions that are made and why they're made. Correct. And um, so just talk about that whole relationship between player, parent, and coach. Yeah, I, I think it's I, – I try, and I, I do wonder if this is the right thing sometimes, but I've – and this goes back to my earlier statements about when I was younger, how I wanted everyone to be in this harmonious, happy state of life, you know, when the kids were younger, parent, player, and coaches, times 11 sets of those, right? Um you know, I, I will over communicate with them in person with the players there, sometimes with the parents there, sometimes just with the parents via email about the process and how this needs to go. And to me, the biggest thing is that communication between that triangle. You know, the player and coach are together a lot. And, and the parents, they don't stay for practice. Our head football coach said something to one of our to the group of parents uh, this I think the last couple of years he said this, he goes, he goes, if you don't have a good vibe about what's going on here, because most of them drop, you know, especially at this age, seventh, eighth grade, 
They drop their kids off. They go for two hours to get whatever they need to do, get done. They come back to listen to us. Coaches talk for five minutes at the end of practice, and that's it. And, and, and I think this is very good of him. He says, listen, if you don't like something or you don't think, you know, little Johnny is not playing enough, come to practice for a week and watch 10 hours of practice so you can see what's happening. Because if you don't understand what's happening and your son comes home and tells you one thing, another thing's probably happening here. And if the head coach tells you something else is happening here, you're going to start getting grizzly with the head coach because you're going to defend your son or daughter, right? If you come to practice and see that they're not putting in the effort, they're getting crunched in practice, there's safety concerns. Now, and I, I thought that was great, great that he did that. And I think coming to a practice and assessing it, but most parents, you know, as the kids get older, you know, when they're younger, every parent's sitting there watching, right? And as they get older, that, that dissipates. But I thought that was really... I thought he handled that really well at the beginning of the season. But I think that communication between those three is critical. We've tried to, and I know you have too, we've talked about this. We try to have a couple of sessions every year where we, we stop, you know, like Lily, I don't do anything at practice except meet with the parents and the player. Maybe one of our assistant coaches joins me, which usually happens. And we talk as a group. What do we like? What don't we like? Um, what are you seeing? Here's what we're seeing. Here's what they need to improve. Here's what we're thinking moving forward. You know, oh, there was a decision in this game. What, you know, and we try to communicate that through. Um, it may be overkill a little bit. I don't know how many teams do that. Um, but I think that that, that communication is good. One of my big fears right now is we have a lot of kids, including my own, that are taking outside hitting lessons. So they're getting outside hitting lessons. They then got me who who sees different things. They got my assistant coaches who see different things, you know, to, to a point or or maybe we don't see different things. Let me put it this way. I think we we communicate things differently to the kid. Or we focus on different or aspects. Or we focus on different aspects. Right. Maybe they're maybe the, the you know the the professional more coach that we're paying is focusing on the lower body and we're focusing on, you know, upper or whatever, you know. I, and, and and so so then you start getting confusion going on. And then the parents, especially the parents who played before or who are really into this, they definitely, as we all do have an opinion in the car on the way home, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which may be right or wrong. Ours may be right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So to me, that entire communication, so I've told all of our players and parents right now, I said, listen, we've got to all communicate right now because if we don't all communicate, your son's going to start going up to the plate numb with all this information. I don't want them thinking at all when they go out there. We want to get it to a natural state. But if they hear from this coach who we're paying big bucks for this, you know, to get a great swing, and then we're saying some things, and then you're saying some things, you got confusion going on. So we try like crazy to keep all that harmonious and stuff. But at some point, you lose a parent or two because they don't like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times is um, – they're only looking at their son or daughter when they're thinking about the decisions that are being made in game. They're not sitting there. They're saying, okay, my son is only playing the outfield this game and I'm really upset right now. Well, they don't understand that we're up 17, nothing right now. And we're trying to give some other kids some opportunities or things like that. They don't understand the whole picture of what's going on. Or, and that's why I tell parents at the beginning of the season, don't ride this crazy wave. Try to assess everything at the end of the season when you have the full body of work. Um, but that communication and, and it's getting harder because as the kids get older and other pressures with my own kids and wanting to see my own kids, you know, at their other sporting events that I don't coach, you don't have, you, you know, sometimes you don't have the time to communicate properly. And sometimes you can't get the parents and the player and the coaches all there because that takes an effort to do that, you know, to do it right, in my opinion. Um, I'm kind of going off on a tangent on this, but I, that, that communication is critical to me. 
Um, I think mostly it works, but um, otherwise, you know, as a parent, if you're sitting there and you see things, you're just doing, you're having no fun. Yeah. So what's your, what's your rule about parents approaching you and I would rather with you? I, I, see, I per, I know everyone has this 24 hour rule. I can't stand it. And it's probably so I go back and forth on that. Yeah. I, I want to just talk about it right there. Let's let's not go to sleep angry. So that's how I feel about it. So I think it's a it's a biblical uh, yeah. uh commandment that you're not supposed to go to bed angry. Okay. Um, and Amen, sister. Uh, but I also, you know, the the cool down period too, I there was a time that I kind of believed in that as well. Yeah. Um, it makes when you're sense. In the heat of, when you're in the heat of the moment, um, you know, you may say things or they may say things. Um, but at the same time, giving it some time, you know, I think uh, it helps more with the parents because then they can calm down and then rationally think about it because they get a little bit more uh, fired up more than the coaches do. Not to, you know, knock on parents. I mean, we get just as fired up. About oh, absolutely. Stuff. No question. Um but I think it's, uh, I go back and forth. Um, yeah. so you, your thing is you want to talk about it right away. Yeah. My, my biggest rule is I do not want to talk about anything that could be negative in front of the kids. So if we're going to have a discussion after game, as we can stay at the field and talk, I want, I want kids and everyone else gone because I don't want, there's, we is, think about when you're coaching, you have two teams there. Let's say both teams have 12 kids. You got 24 sets of eyeballs on you. Plus you got all the people all the brothers and sisters that are around, we got to be role models, right? And, and if you're not a role model, I don't know what you're doing this for, because I think then that that's just not right. But, and we've seen the other side of this, of course, too, right? <laughs> and we probably have had our moments too, I suppose, right? So, but, um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I don't want, I'm not, my personality is I don't want to go to bed having to stew on this and be all anxious in the morning about the conversation and not know what's coming and, you know, and, and, and literally lose a night of sleep over it. I would rather just say, all right, let's talk and have a real good conversation because to me, what's all that matters in that conversation is, all right, what is best for your son or daughter and how can we make things better? Now, if this is more of a parent issue than it is a son, can we figure that out in that conversation, which isn't easy and it doesn't, you know, always happen, so, you know, um, but I don't know. I And I think the 24 hour rule is probably the smarter way to be honest with you, but I'm just, I'm wired. I'd rather just, let's have the conversation and move on. Um, but it, it, it's, it's gone both ways over my so years. I don't know what, I don't know what age I implemented this, but now my new, my new, you know, this year I have 15 year old players. Uh, my new thing is I don't want to talk to any parent about an issue unless I've already talked to the kid. So if they're coming to me, I'm like, I haven't, I haven't heard from them. So I am not yeah. talking to you so, about it. Well, I think they got to take ownership. Yeah. That's great point. life lessons right now. Right. right. I mean, so they're, they, they're taking charge of their, right. Their path. I think that's great. So then, um, but at what now, age do you do that? Right. Well, so I started that. I think, uh, I think, I think it was last year I did a 14, um, fully. Okay. Like I kind of, kind of implemented so that's high school. Yeah, yeah. That's probably a good time for it. But I, I, what I found was, uh, what I found was, uh, I had a parent come up to me. And I'm like, no, I haven't heard from him. Then I heard the had the kid come up to me, and it was the same start to the conversation, yes. right? So they were obviously coached, right, yeah. from their from their parent what to, what to say, which is it's okay because they still have to. Um, it's not conflict, but they have to address items, and that's a skill that they're going to need, you know, in the business world when they have a job and they have to approach a, a coworker that they're not getting along with or disagree with or a boss. Yep. You know, uh, I guess in our scenario, it's more of a worker and boss type of scenario. Right. Yes. Um, but that's 
I mean, they have to, we, we have to, and I empower them. I want that. I want to be someone they can come to and approach, right? Yes. Both good and bad. So if there's something that they're really liking, I want them to approach me. And if, you know, if they want to play second base and played second base all year, then let's talk about it. And sometimes I don't realize they want to play there or I hadn't thought, you know, they wanted to play there. And so we, as coaches, we, we make mistakes too, and we have to own up to those, but they have to communicate what their desires are. If there's an issue, then if it's not satisfactory to the parent, then the parent comes and talks to me and then, then we address it. And I, a lot of times what I also do is um, not to throw my assistant coaches under the, into the path of things, but I also certain items um, that are, that need to be addressed are go through certain coaches, you know, from an, from assistant, I, I empower them to you know take on certain aspects. Um, so if there's certain parent questions, they may not even come to me first. They'll go to an assistant coach and then, and then to me. So that way the parents know that this is a, this is a whole team type of uh, a scenario here. And, and um, I want the, I want the parents to, to approach me, but want to make sure that the, the, the kids are, you know, if they're the proper age to, to do that first. Yeah. So. I like that. I think in, in high school, I, my, my oldest daughter right now, I, you know, I'm seeing her grow up and go to some of her coaches for different things and different sports right now. And, and, and I love it because she's, she's taken ownership and, and there's, I think there's a different level of, um, you know, passion work ethic that grows out of that. So I, I think that's great. So when I, you know, you know, when I was playing and, you know, I was younger, uh, same thing. I wasn't happy with what was it, whatever was going on. And you know, I was complaining to my parents and they're like, you gotta go talk to the coach. Yeah. And like, you know, you growing up, it's like, Oh yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But they, they made me think about that. And then I had to go and do that. And I went and talked to the coach. We had a good conversation about, you know, here's what I'm seeing. And, and then I had to make some adjustments. Right. Yep. And then if I still, it got worked out with that coach, but had it not, then I knew my parents were going to step in after that if they felt like so, you know, there was some injustice being done. Right. 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 And I think that's, you know, that's the, I give my parents a lot of credit because, you know, as, you know, uh, as parents, we want to go in there and protect our kids yep. and, you know, mama and papa bear. No and, question. Uh, I get that. And, and that's kind of the easy thing to do, but stepping back, you know, getting the emotion out of it and going, all right, let's figure out what's, what's going on here. And I like your, your comment of, um, you know, you know, not thinking about, don't think about what's going on with your kid, but look at the whole picture. Yeah. And I think that other coaches, uh, thing of come to practice all week and, and see, Yeah, you know? oh, I loved it. I, when I know it was two or three years ago, he, we were like, all right, how'd it go over there? You know, kind of joking around. And he's like, here's what I told him. And I, I thought that was a pretty brilliant statement because if you come to practice and you watch, you know, you know, we had, we had two, we had two kids this last week screwing around in uh, one of these sessions we uh, put them in and uh, the, the, the coach uh, that, 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 you know, was running, it came up to me. He's like, I, I can't believe this. Right. And he was ticked. I said, no, oh, make them run, do whatever you got to do. I mean, it, but did their parents see that? Nope. So, you know, here we right. go. Yeah. Right. So if you had a game this weekend, yeah, you know, right. those kids might. Yeah. So, you know, so. you don't see that. You know, I had, I had a, this was probably about four years ago. Now we were playing a high level tournament uh, that our, it was, we were over our heads in, but it was, I told everyone going into, I said, listen, we're playing top level competition. This was softball. 
I want the girls to understand the top level that's out here because a couple of the girls may eventually want to, you know, go to the, in this direction and play at, at this more of elite level. This is probably, I think we were 14 you at the time, you know, we went in this tournament pretty much got pounded, but it was all about player development, learning a little bit of the game at a faster pace and all this. Well, during one of the games, we, we were down maybe four to one against the team that we were probably lucky to score a run off of. You know, I mean, we were, we were the pitcher was just phenomenal. And um, our catcher was causing all sorts of commotion and problems throughout the game. So we basically benched her for the rest of the game, put in another catcher in. The other catcher struggled the rest of the game. And after the game, the parents came up to me. We're on fire. You had a winnable game. You pulled your starting catcher who happened to be their daughter. And, you know, this big thing ensued after that. And, and so their daughter's standing right there. And I said, well, do you know that this, 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 and this happened during the game? Oh. So they're stewing about something that was make-believe in their head, not having the full picture. Mm-hmm. You know, and then immediately settled down. And then I'm sure her ride home with her parents was a little different than they expected. They weren't no longer angry at me. They were now really disappointed in her. I wasn't trying to have them be disappointed yeah, in her, I but know. they need to understand the perspective of why we sat her out, you know, and, and, and there's a lot more going on that you don't know. So, uh, um, you know, those type of things are, you know, they're not fun, but hopefully so, if the kids grow out of those and we grow too, when those things happen, right. We, I think we handle them better and better as we get older and experience those things more. You know? So looking, looking at the different sports, like, um, you know, you got a basketball player, uh, softball, um, you know, football, throw gymnastics in there. Other girls gymnastic, will kill you. That's yeah, right. Gymnastics. You got all these different things. So across all these and, you know, they're not all quote uh, travel, but they're youth sports. Is there, is there a commonality as far as like the intensity level? Do you think that, you know, I'm just throwing out there. Do you think that uh, basketball is more intense than baseball? Do you think the parents are more intense in softball? Do you, what, what do you, what are yeah. you the, what, compare and contrast kind of the environments there? Uh, as far as, um, you know, just overall the sport and then the, the parents and, and and so on. Yeah, I think if you're looking at the boys versus the girls, the girls' parents may be a little bit more intense than the boys. There's something special and different. And I, I don't know if I can put my I still can't put my finger on it. Coaching the girls and watching them. I don't know what it is. There's something different and special about it. That's just I, I can't describe it. But but the the. You know, so from a coaching perspective, from maybe it's because they're more relationship driven in terms of wanting to do so well for you as a coach when they're younger or the boys are off, you know, want to just pound on each other. You know, maybe maybe that's what it is. Um, The the parents, I think, in in, in girls sports seem a little they, they may have a little bit of an edge in terms of, you know, intensity sometimes. You know, especially more of the elite ones, you know, and, and I say this in a terrible way. Just I just that's what I've experienced a little bit, um, which is interesting. Um, you know, across the board, though, you know, the intensity and the way all these different sports are handled between gymnastics and basketball. You know, I think a lot of the tone set on your head coach, you know, I think they're all very similar in in, you know, desire to get the kids to a, 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 you know, a, a, a higher level. I mean, to me, I think the, the number one factor in all those is the coach. I really do. You know, you know, to me, we've had coaches that yell, we've had coaches that don't yell, 
We've had me as a coach, you know, uh, the kids have many coaches at gymnastics right now. Um, you know, everyone has different approaches or whatever. Um, some styles I like better than others, but at the end of the day, to me, I don't have to love the style. If my kid is having fun, that's all that matters. So, and if they're developing, that's, you know, those two things to me. And so, so based on that, why is there so little coaching development and training? Oh, I mean, basically, yeah. You know, and and one of the things that I told, I feel like we're all self-made. So basically one of the things, you know, I I tell, uh, you know, prospective parents is whether they're coming to ours or looking at ours or looking at other, I'm like, you you go play for the coach first, then the organization second, not to anything away from what we're, you know, our organization is doing. Uh, I'm proud of it. I'm happy. No no issues there. Culture starts with the head coach. It starts, you got to go play for that guy. Yep. Or girl. Yep. You know, that's what you got to do. You got to play for them first because they're, they're making all decisions and you got to make sure in the same wavelength yep. as them. And if you're not, it's going to be a miserable year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Or season. So then, then the organization and, and I don't think it, it should ever be reversed. No. Um, and so anyway, having said that, you, you know, people go play for coaches. Um, they're inspired by coaches or not. Why is there so little coaching? There's, there's hardly any, training of the actual coaches yeah it, and you and you said we're we're like self-made and I, yeah. I i agree but i go you know i go and and you know some of us they want we want to learn more and we you know talk with their coaches and go to other practices and stuff like that but in general there's not a formal there's not a formal training no it's it, it's, it's kind an, of an odd thing it is an odd thing and i think it's a it, it's a huge mess right now i think one of the biggest factors is i'm thinking back to when i got into softball coaching house you know, we actually had a coach a couple times come out who did some kind of like clinic sessions with all of us, you know, so we could learn a little bit about some drills and things like that. So that was good. But I've only seen that happen once or twice of all these. I think I've coached some 50 some teams now. I only remember that twice. So that's how little this happens. Um, I think it's a time thing, right? I mean, not everyone has the same time commitment. I think a lot of coaches, when they sign up for their first time, all they're thinking about is, all right, I got one practice a week and one game. They have no idea what's coming their way. And then you also, you know, in terms of all the admin and, and all the communications and, you know, you know, when they're little, you know, who's bringing the juice box to the game, you know, all that stuff adds up. Right. You know, and then if you, you know, if, if you can't put a team of people together, like a parent coordinator and all those people around you, then you're taking on that burden, which then takes away from your extra time to go out and learn the game. And, and I think you're starting behind the eight ball right away in a lot of cases when you're brand new because you don't know what you don't know. Um, it is interesting in football. I feel like we have to go through some special training. We have to watch a lot of videos, especially for heads up tackling to make sure the kids are safe. Right. Football seems to do a much better job than any other sport I've been around coaching so far because, you know, I mean, safety in that sport is so critical. And we have to go through all this training and then we have to take that training and apply it to the kids the first week of practice before they can do any contact. Right. But I don't see that in softball. I do not see that in baseball. Um, now, gymnastics, we're at a gym where they're all professionally trained or whatever that, you know, so that's all good. But that's not volunteers. I think your question is more to volunteers. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. It, it There should be something, but I just don't I don't. If you if you open something like that up, how many people would actually attend something like that? Probably 20 percent, 80 percent. I don't think come. You know, if if you said, hey, 
all coaches in Southeast Michigan, if you're a first year coach, let's say there's a thousand of them, how many would come to something like that and put the extra time in? I don't think it's that many, sadly. And, and it's, but the twenty that come, the twenty percent come, be, aren't those the ones you want anyway? Those are the ones you want, but you still got eighty percent that, you know. Yeah, but how? Okay, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know so what the answer so is. It's interesting. You know, you this is all you know hypothetically. Yeah, but like of those twenty percent, my guess is that you know ninety five percent are going to continue on. Of those eighty percent, only. Fifty or sixty percent of them are going to continue. You're probably on. right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're probably right with that. So I guess if you look at it that way, um, but there's like you, um, there's not, there's just not a whole lot of, there's just not a whole lot. But you of think offers. of the skill sets you need. You know, what I mean, you you need you need to you need to understand the game. You need to be, um, you know, you you got to understand how to you know interact with kids. You need to understand how to communicate and 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 have those conversations with parents. You know, you need to be able to cry with the kids and be happy with the kids. You need to have administrative. You need to understand finance a little bit for, you know, if you're well, if starting you're off, travel. For, like to your point, though, you have to understand that all those things you are, are even possibility. That's correct. You know, and I don't think most do. Right. Yeah. When you first start, you're kind of like. I want to, you're doing it because you want to coach. You love the game or you yeah. love the kids yeah. or both. You yeah. Know. And probably a lot yeah. of times you love your son or daughter and you want to help them. Right. And then you start throwing, oh, I got a lot of these little sons and daughters on this team. This is cool. And then you start falling in love with those kids, right? Because you, you, you want the best for them when they're young and you want them to love the game like you do. But you don't think about all this other stuff and all that comes with it. And yeah. I think most people jump in because they're following their son or daughter into it. And then you start getting in the bog. You know, and like, and you might probably right. Probably. So I, so I, I um, an umpire friend of ours said one of his quotes was uh, the problem that umpires have is that there's a shortage. Okay. And one of the reasons why there's shortages is because the, uh, uh, a lot of the coaches that are out there are bad coaches because they've never been taught. A lot of them don't even know the rules. They flamed out as a player or, or whatever. And then they're kind of reliving some stuff and they don't even know all the rules. Um, and so then that creates conflict with the umpires. And then it's this, this vicious cycle, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, in this um, you know, kind of, you know, paradox that we're, yeah. that we're hitting, you know, with, with that, yep. you know? I, I think he's right. I, I mean, there are still, I, I play this game. I've been around my entire life. There's still a few few roles during games i'm like scratching my head like wait how am i interpreting that today yeah you know i, I remember so, yeah, my, my I, first year i i you know uh coaching um you know uh, youth sports playing baseball um it was a playoff game and uh you know these eight-year-olds and i, I forgot that when a th- pitcher throws it and it bounces and hits the kid it's still a hit batsman yes you know? yes and so but i even though i forgot at that moment Pretty much everybody on the field forgot it. The other coach didn't yeah, know. You know, they had to bring the rules guy over. Yep. There was like seven people scratching their heads. They're like, well, I don't, you know. And, you know, now, yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot of those things that happen. And sometimes, you know, you're just going to have to learn those, on, you know, unfortunate or some cases fortunate times. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I think as a coach, you are immediately, I think one of our, you know, you want to defend your team and do whatever you can to protect those 11. And then sometimes if you forget a rule in the heat of the moment or something, or you're misinterpreting it, you know, then, then, you know, a lot of times, especially in literally, you got a 14 year old umpire there. How fair is that for them? Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, it's tough, you know, so, 
Yeah, it, it's it. Yeah, you know that's another thing. And I, I think about all this, you know, even all the you know, I'm talking about golf earlier. All the competitive golf I played, the rule book is crazy thick with stuff and nuanced all over the place. And there's even still times we're out there and something will happen and all the players will look at each other and we're all like, I got no idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like, wait a minute. I think it's this. I I think it's like in baseball and softball, no different. I need these sports. Right. So a couple last things and we'll uh, uh, wrap up. Um, So first of all, uh, one big topic and then we'll couple uh, light softball ones for you. Okay. Sorry, easy ones. I shouldn't say oh, softball. I don't want it to be derogatory. The girls are going to be mad at you now. Yes, they are. <laughs> it's, it's a harder sport than baseball, okay? It is, I agree. I yeah. absolutely agree with that. Um, so I have a theory about uh, uh, pitching, uh, overhand throwing, um, and it's it's this. Um, first of all, I don't think our I don't think God designed our bodies to throw a baseball. No, I think that's I think it's probably – scientific fact honestly so i don't know I, that I've for done, sure but i do believe that to be true so one of the things that you know i i've done a, i've read a ton of books you know i'm not a doctor but i've read a, a bunch of books and talked to a lot of people well you use WebMD, right you're a doctor well i did give that. birth to my fifth i birthed you know i didn't birth but i uh, <laughs> i was there to deliver the baby the Got you the quarterback so uh, exactly okay very good and and i did uh, all the heavy lifting on that uh, yeah i'm sure that's what she would say yeah, yeah. <laughs> from a medical yeah. standpoint yes yes um so i read a lot of a lot of books on on you know arm care and there's all these different theories out there there's um studies with like uh you know, like in Japan, where they throw a lot, they throw much more than we do. Hundreds and hundreds of pitches. They they throw consecutive days. All this stuff. Then there's here where we have you know very strict uh, pitch counts, um, and you know people believe in icing your arm and, and heat. And um, there's uh, guys like uh, I think it was Mike uh, Marshall for the Dodgers who got his whole you know pitching uh, like can um, like a pitching farm where he throws it. At, you know, he teaches mechanics a crazy different way. And he says that that leads to less arm injuries. Okay. Um, you know, there's all these different theories at the end of it. I have not seen any of them where anybody's found the magic bullet, uh, where there, where there's preventative, um, you know, of, of preventing these arm injuries. My theory is this, if you are a pitcher, eventually your arm will give out. It's not a matter of, if it's a matter of just when, and I feel like our job as coaches, you know, in baseball and not as much in softball because it's underhand, but um, in baseball is to try to delay that as much as possible by not overusing them and warming up properly and stretching and doing band work and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tell me I'm wrong on that. I hope yeah. I'm wrong, but yeah. I don't. I don't see anything. Yeah. I don't think there's a magic pill. It's funny. We, we were at practice earlier tonight with a former major leaguer, um, and we were talking about this very thing tonight. And I think there's a couple of things. Number one, I think the strength training that these kids are now getting is going to change this a little bit. Because like when we were in college, we learned all we learned about how to keep our you know how to nutrition and body and all these drills you do. Well, all that we learned in college back when I was in college, all that is now what the 10, 11, 12 year olds are learning. So you think about that. 
all, I mean, it's all come down to 10, 11, 12. They're now learning how to do all that at an earlier age. So that'll be interesting to watch, you know, over the next 20, 30 years. Um, but there's like weighted ball programs. Yeah, and there's then all throw, sorts of stuff. You know, I mean, people come up with all kinds of. Uh, and it gets back stuff. to time too, right? How many kid, how many kids and families for one kid for one sport have time to go to a a medicine ball type program three times a week? You know, that's the other problem. And then how many kids actually go home and actually do these things? Not many, right? You know, everyone says go do five of these a night for fifteen. Most of them don't, which is right. the other side of it. The other thing we talked about tonight was the mechanics. You know, solid mechanics taught early, which goes back to our other conversation about coaches having understanding proper technique and being trained somehow early on. Proper mechanics should lead to a lot less injury and more longevity long term. So here's my. Uh, so I do believe that along with strength training. Those two things to me right now make a lot of sense, but so counter- I, I wouldn't bet on it either way, to be honest with you, because so, I, we don't so know. counterpoint to that. So I, I agree. And I think if you look at like statistics, like, uh, you know, uh, from the seventies now shoulder injuries, there's a lot less of them because people are, are taking care of the shoulder. Now the rise of Tommy John surgery. Yeah, okay? you're right. It's huge. Um, so now we're looking at the, the elbow versus the shoulder. So, uh, we're doing a better job with the shoulder. But now we're getting more elbow injuries, yeah. right? So then, my next, my next, uh, I guess, question or, or um, you know, issue is, you know, they're having these surgeries, but there's no, even when they're having a Tommy John surgery, there's no after that, there's no magic, there, there's no uh, guideline on that. No, you're right. So, sometimes you're right. those guys blow out three months later after they come. Seems like it becomes genetics, doesn't it? You're full, either lucky or not. They yeah. get they get the medical clear after like a year or whatever, and they blow their arm out three months later. Some of them make it five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Strasburg, he he's made it now a number of years. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of guys out there, but there's no there's no correlation from any of the, yeah. the data that's out there that even says with the Tommy John surgery that. You know, you're it's it's rebuilt. It's better, and, and it, right, and, and you know, and that's what's so scary about it. Yeah. And so I, what coming back full circle is uh, basically I've I've kind of told the parents, you know, the the sad reality of you know, and it's just like it's a lot of sports, so right, like football. If you play it long enough, I mean, you're I mean, it's it's a violent sport. You're going to have injuries. Yep. Baseball. The reality is, if you're a pitcher, you know, you just have to come to the realization that at some point, hopefully, it's when you're. 45 years old and not when you're 25 years old. Right. right? But I, I believe that it, it's going to happen. And it's our job is to delay that as long as possible, put them in the, in the best position to not overuse them, get them, um, you know, stretch out the strength training. Uh, this year I've got every one of my players, whether they're a pitcher or not, they all have uh, bands Yep, and they are, uh, you know, warming up with their bands after they throw um, the next day, they're, the next two days are supposed to do band work on their own at home um, to, to keep that going. And I think all those things will help. But the, the reality is, is that I just going back to my first statement, I don't believe that our, our arms were designed to throw. Yeah, a, I mean, a baseball. It, it's interesting because you look at softball, you mean great teams in this area. I'm talking youth and then even some of the great high school teams, they have one pitcher that throws every game. Or most of their games, you know, I mean, they they can throw 100 pitches in a game, go right back to the next game, throw another 100 pitches. So there's no question the body for pitching is designed underhand. I, I agree with that. Um, it, yeah, I it, it's um, 
it is an it is a, it, it is an issue. I, I don't know. I don't really don't know what the answer is on all this. I really don't. All I know is underhand. You can if you have one pitch. If you're building a softball team, if you have one pitch, you're great. If you're building a baseball team, you better have nine of them. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, that's the sad reality. You yeah. know, I, I, when I was younger, when I was the kids' ages that I'm now coaching, I would be in, as, as a baseball junkie. I would go and throw, you know, two to four hundred pitches a day into a pitch back. You know, and I had these kind of these fun games in my head where I was mm-hmm. felt like I was in a major league stadium and I had this huge imagination with it. And I would do it for hours every day. And my arm never hurt me ever. I, I could throw all day long. But I and then the guy I was with tonight whose son was up at this practice tonight, he said the same thing. And we're like, it's kind of interesting this conversation right now. We threw every day probably hundreds of more pitches than they would tell you to do in this day and age. Now we're only two people in this case statement here I'm making, but no, we never had arm it's issues. Anecdotal, but it's, it's your, yeah, we never had arm issues. So let me ask and you. And now this. you have pitch counts, and you have an eighth yeah, inning guy and a seventh me, inning guy. Let little, me ask you this: When you were doing those, I mean, are you throwing them like an actual like pitch, like a full out? Yes, I was like, back in the day. You yeah, ninety percent or yeah. more. Oh yeah, I was all in, and then making plays and doing. I had this whole yeah, yeah as a whole another Oprah show on that one, you know, <laughs> little Ricky Rackner out there, you know, but uh, maybe I didn't have any friends and I was, you know, just by myself, but I was in my you own, had the pitch back. own Nirvana, right? Yeah, I was yeah. in my own happy space. So, and you were awesome. And I was awesome. I was, I hit a home run every time, but, but, you know, but all for hours and hours, my parents have to call me for dinner 55 times. I'm, like, oh, I'm in the eighth inning, you know, and you know, then I'd come in and if I stopped in the game, I'd have to write, you know, I just create, but, yeah. but it's interesting. It was, there was no pitch counselor. It, was, it wasn't like it was today. Um, my arm felt great every day. And the guy I was talking tonight, he was telling me the same thing. He was like, my arm felt great every day. You know, um, I, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's part genetics and luck with this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the bands and all this type of strength training, kind of this CrossFit type stuff is huge. Um, I do worry kids are throwing curveballs way too early and torquing their arms. They don't have proper mechanics. You know, we go and play other teams and stuff. Last year, we hardly any of our kids threw curveballs. You know, towards the end of the season, we let it go a little bit. But, you know, I just like there's no, you know, if you have a fastball and a changeup, and you can play with those two right now. That's that's enough. Yeah, I mean, at this we, age. we just had, we just had a conversation with our our our, our uh, pitching coach and our okay. uh, who played at uh, he played at Albion okay. for four years four years four year starter and he um you know you you don't need to have seven different pitches in your no. in your arsenal. Nope. You, you you locate your fastball. Locate. Right? I'm I'm the big Leo Mazzoni fan, the pitching coach for the Braves. Yep, I remember him. Braves fan had a heck his of a whole, staff. Basically, if you boil his whole theory was it's. You, you paint that corners, low and outside, low and inside. And if you can, you know, dominate those sides, both sides of the plate, you're going to be fair pretty yeah. well. Right? Greg Maddox was uh, the greatest example of that. He had a great changeup that uh, for, you know, he was a right-handed pitcher and it moved from uh, when he was throwing it from his uh, left to right, which is uh, a little bit unusual. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of like almost like a screwball action on it. And he, he didn't have a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Um I think he at, the, at his heyday, maybe he averaged maybe ninety. Yeah, I remember him in the upper eighties, but I don't know if that's really. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, he was. But he had a great uh, off-speed stuff. Yeah, locate his changeup, and so basically, my you know my instruction to our players is locate your fastball, 
be comfortable with your changeup, and you got to throw that when you're warming up. You got to throw your changeup all the time, so you're comfortable throwing that and getting that grip. And then you know the rest of the stuff you want movement on it. You could throw a fastball, different types of fastballs yeah. with movement on it without having to you know break off your wrist. You know, yep. so 100 agree. Yep, the less, but last, uh, yes, last, it's an interesting topic. Last, last one. Um, these are these are the hard hitting questions. Oh boy, here we go. They're no longer softballs, as you would say, right? Um, we're editing that out, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, you have to have dinner with three athletes, past or present. Who are the three and what are you having? Oh, Gee. wow. Three athletes? They have to be athletes. Can be coaches? Um, so I meant to, I meant to uh, add that caveat. Um, it could be uh, anybody related with a, or with a, a professional athlete. Okay. Um, or coach, okay, or uh, something to do with the program, like a GM or an owner, okay, or something like that. Well, I mean, Kirk Kirk Gibson was my favorite growing up, and I actually ran into him at the Gap. <laughs> now he will not remember this story like I do. We were in Hawaii at a Gap, so right there alone makes it a weird story. Why are we? What are we doing at a Gap in Hawaii? And I'm walking next to this presence of a man and, and I wasn't thinking anything of it. And all of a sudden, I mean, I literally we're like right next to each other. I would say we were shoulder to shoulder, but I think we were his waist to my shoulder. I mean, the guy, I, I couldn't believe how big he was. And I looked up, I'm like, dear Lord, it's Kirk Gibson. So I just trying to be. What you know, year was this? This was somewhere in the probably late 90s. Okay. So past his career. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 He was, he was retired. And so I'm like, Hey, I'm from Detroit. You know, my name's Rick, you know, and try to just be like this normal dude. Right. And, and so it's kind of like, okay, you know, we're talking for a brief second or whatever. And, and he's probably like, crap, someone recognizes me. I just want to be by myself with my family. Right. And, uh, and then I'm like, well, where are you staying? I started asking him all these personal <laughs> questions. Where he's staying. Just trying to be friendly. Like where you stand, you like to play. Like I would do with anyone else. And afterwards, Julie grabs me, goes, you look ridiculous over there. Because <laughs> the last thing he wants to do is tell some Detroit fan where he's saying, you know, I'm Maui. Right. So Kirk Gibson would be one. Jack Morris probably be the, it's another not the one. people that you've met. Okay. That's, yeah, not that's the, right. The question. Yeah. It's, it's, but no, but I, I didn't get my quality time with him. You know? okay, so, okay, gotcha. so I'm going to keep him on the list. Jack Morris would be the other one. Jack to me was just, I loved his intensity is ferocious. And, you know, even though it wasn't for the Tigers that 91 game he threw where he went 10 innings. I mean, no pitcher in this day and age gets to go 10 innings anymore. That to me was just awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't think he played major football. He might have played at Kent State, but uh, Lou Holtz, you know. I know a lot of no, people here fine. in Michigan, coach, but yeah. Lou Holtz to me is still one of the greatest motivators and technicians on game day um, around. And a lot of people around here I know don't like him, but I, so it's I love funny, that guy. None of those, well, uh, the first two you mentioned do not fit your like your personality at all no you're right okay they're, they're yeah you're right they're gruff uh you know yeah uh, didn't like really dealing with the media now they're great they've they had a renaissance I mean, yeah they're in the and media, they're both right? yeah they're doing they're both doing a good job at it you know they've kind of morphed right yeah. over time um so that it's kind of funny you mentioned that because yeah it, i never thought about it that way i just love the fact that they were all in i think that's what i loved about them Oh yeah, I mean they're, just they're all in. They uh, they left blood, sweat, and tears what's, every game. So what what what's what's at what's at this meal? What do you, what are you having? What am I having at the meal? Is Julie at the meal with me or no? 
That's no, it. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just euphoric. Well, then we're having uh, we're having uh, lobster and shellfish and you know, uh, you fair know. at Maui. That's uh, Kurt. Yeah, we're at Ruth Chris in Maui. <laughs> um, she's allergic to shellfish. That's why I had to see if she was at the table. Well, Jessica's the thing of if it's from the sea, it's not for me. Oh. So anytime I travel, whenever I go traveling for business, I always have salmon and shrimp and yeah. See, whenever so. I go, uh, I'll, I I always. Like we'll, we'll be like, we'll be like, you know, we'll go to a conference or something and everyone's, you know, get in whatever. And then I'll like, guys, my wife's allergic to shellfish. So I'll get crab legs and yeah, yeah. splash it all over myself and it's delicious. <laughs> and then I'm not, I know I'm not going to go home and, you know, she, you know, she's pretty allergic. So, yeah. so yeah, we're, we, we'd have to have some sort of, and then I, I would, I like to think there's a, you know, you know, you know, we have to have some beers with those kind of boys, right? You're not, you're not drinking wine or anything. I, well, think I don't know Lou Holtz, but those other two for sure. Lou, yeah, maybe Lou would throw down a couple of bottles of red with me, but you know, there's got to be a stogie in that picture somewhere. I think probably, yeah. You no, know, he's a classic motivator. He did all kinds of, um, you know, motivational speaking for corporations too. Yeah, I actually gone to a couple of them. Yeah, I remember in high school, the our uh, one of our teachers uh, popped one of these, you know, uh, like. VHS at the time tapes yeah. in and it was like <laughs> man you're old if you're talking like yeah, this you I must know. be older than me the um, uh, he, for like an hour it would it was Lou Holtz yeah. it had nothing to do with our class I don't know if he just wanted to break that day <laughs> or what but it was really I'm like this guy I'm like this is awesome this his, is good his primary talk which he's done thousands of times is whether you like him or not, and if you tell me you don't, you you don't like the speech, you're nuts because it is unbelievable the way he tells it. It I've seen it several times. I've seen it live. I've seen it on the VHS tape and everything. And it's, I think it's you know. But I'm very biased to the guy. I love the guy. So yeah, I know you're So I think those would be my three. I'm trying to think. So would be. I don't know. Those are the three that come to mind. So, so la- uh, last thing is what, what's your, you know, we, we do, you know, we do a lot of giving back and, you know, you know, you give back to the kids. And so from a charitable standpoint, what's your favorite charity? What do you, what's, you know, what are you passionate about? What's near and dear to your heart as far as like, you know, a nonprofit or yeah. a charity that's, you, you know, think- it's interesting. I probably should say where I work since I work in the nonprofit sector, but you know, well, we're going to exclude that just because. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You can't say the cannons and you can't say, uh, yeah. Oakland. No, that sounds good. No, I, right. You know, it's, it's funny before we had kids, I would have told you it was like humane society and that kind of stuff, you know, and, and we had a dog and I didn't know this world of children at the time. And, um, you know, if I had a lump sum right now, I mean, the St. Jude's and the Make-A-Wish type places is what I'd probably want to get involved with. So you got to pick one, which is it? Um, you know, I'll I go with Make-A-Wish because I think the the experiences they give those kids is pretty neat. I think those are memories for those parents, you know, especially if it's fatal what the child has. I also read something recently, though, that they're giving a lot of those out. And, and those experiences are to give the child hope so they can continue to fight. And a lot of those kids are now fighting and actually making it, which I did not know about until recently. So that 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 to me is cool as hell. So so I'll, I'll go with them because I think it's pretty cool what they do. All right. So we're going to um, so for being on this, we're going to we're going to donate to that uh, to make a wish. All right. In your name. All right. Um, we're, we, the, but we look at the budget. We don't have a million. Gotcha. So it's going to be a little less than that. Found, sounds good. I like it. So but I like it will it. be a denomination. I like um, that. 
So we're going to, all right, that's what we're going to do. That's, I love it. That's what we're going to do for you coming on. That's cool. So. I love it. That's fantastic. Right. They're headquartered out in Brighton. So are they? Yeah. Yeah. They're right, right down the road. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Youth Sports Podcast. If you have a guest that you think that we should talk to, reach out to us. Please subscribe and tell your friends, neighbors, coworkers, and your Amazon delivery guy about us. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Greater Michigan Orthopedics. Give Dr. Hemming a call like I did for my shoulder. Give them a call at 810-953-0500. Greater Michigan Orthopedics.